0: I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to A Quiet Place Part 2. Yes, indeed. It's A Quiet Place Part 2. It is the follow up, of course, the John Krasinski written and directed follow up to his sleeper hit of a couple of years ago. Oh, what was it called? A Quiet Place Part 1. There you go. And joining me over the next hour or so to discuss this movie and all its ins and outs and twists and turns and trials and tribulations are three of the quietest people I know. Why did I invite them onto a podcast? I have not thought this through. We are joined by Helen O'Hara. Hello! Oh, that's far too loud. Amon Warman. Hello! And of course, be very, very quiet. It's Dan Jolen.
1: Now. I was thought should I go loud funny loud or should I go funny quiet and 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 now I've just This is why
0: <laughs> I didn't invite Brian Blessed on the just podcast going <laughs> to go for, I'm
1: going to go for not funny in the middle
2: not funny, normal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I always go for not funny, yeah, Dan. Yeah.
0: I know. I've, 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 I've heard all your
1: podcasts. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. If you
0: have, have you heard the first Quiet Place podcast? Because I can't remember if we talked about how Brian Blessed would fare in the world of A Quiet Place. Oh, yeah. uh, so let's pretend that we maybe didn't do that. And let's talk about yeah. it again. How long do you think, and down to the second, would Brian Blessed fare in the world of A Quiet Place? First,
1: first intake of breath... He'd be like, nearly <clears throat> dead. Gorton's alive. No, he then, wouldn't even say anything. He'd just go, <gasps> and then, that, and then that, that, would itself be it. that would be loud be enough. enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The inhalation alone.
2: I also feel like he could take some of the monsters, you know. So, so I'm a bit torn. Well, he
3: would have the frequency.
2: I mean, possibly also that, but I was, I was genuine, just yeah. thinking, like, just straight up ahead them or something. Yeah, I believe in him. Go
3: down fighting in the first act.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think the I think the note he hits at the end of the Phantom Menace might be akin to the frequency mm. that that Reagan stumbles upon in the quiet place. You know, when he holds up the the big glowing orb and goes Peace! and That might be that sounded like a horse. Peace! That's what he might <laughs> be doing. Anyway, welcome to the A Quiet Place Part 2 Sporter Special. Before you hear us get into the movie, you're going to hear from the man who wrote and directed and stars a little bit in this film. It is, of course, Jim from The Office, John Krasinski himself. I caught up with him over, I think it's Zoom. I think it was Zoom a couple of weeks ago. And we had a good old chat. We had a lot of fun talking to John about the first movie and equally a lot of fun talking to him about the second movie. So here you go. Me talking to John Krasinski. Do please enjoy. Enjoy, Krasinski's
2: alive. I don't know when this became a Brian Blessed thing, but okay.
0: (laughs) Blessed are the cheesemakers, Helen.
2: Uh, So wait, he's—I don't understand—is he a cheesemaker or is he in (laughs) the film? I'm really confused.
4: (laughs) I love a bit of camembert. Okay.
0: We're delighted to be joined in this very special *A Quiet Place* Part Two Spoiler Special by the film's writer, director and special guest star Mr. John Krasinski. How are you?
4: I'm doing great now. After an introduction like that, how can you not be great?
0: <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I have to focus first of all on the special guest star part because
4: well, right away. I feel special.
0: <laughs> and John Krasinski, and right away there you are. You you begin the movie with this fantastic prologue taking us back to day 1. There is Lee alive and well. Why did you start the movie in that way
4: because my actor ego was furious that I killed myself in the first one. No, no, I'm kidding. That's not at all. Not at all. Um, it was actually the first thing I wrote was the flashback to day one. And the reason being is the first movie, um, I gave very little information about where these creatures came from, what was going on, um, how this all happened. And I did that very purposefully. And the reason why was, I thought it would be much more tense um, and you would be living with the characters, figuring out what's going on as they are figuring it out. And I thought if I gave you all the information, you somehow would disconnect from the characters because you'd say, come on, this is what happened. Why aren't you getting it? You're, you're taking too long to get it. Mm. So on the second movie, I knew I wanted to give a bit more information, but parse it out in the way that we've been doing the movies, which is very organic and almost put you in the moment. I wanted you to feel like you were in this uh, in the movie with us. Um I remember certainly uh, my influences for the opening of the movie were was Children of Men. Um, I thought uh, Alfonso in in Children of Men did such an unbelievable job, whether it was the cafe scene where Clive comes out and then the cafe blows up right b- behind him, or certainly the car scene, which, of course, we based our car scene on and, mm. and sort of took inspiration from his. It, it was, to me, this idea of not only showing what happened when the creatures got there, but also making sure that the world got to see this family and this town in a happy place, that there was a community of people that lived their lives in a very happy uh, environment and were there for each other and had each other's backs in a very organic way just before the whole world turns upside down and they scatter into the wind and then become, you know, a lot more distrustful.
0: And there's there's a number of interesting things about it. There's uh, there's the little nod to the space shuttle toy that obviously is going to be very important uh, down the line. I, I love that. Thank that, you. That's just a little little filmmaker gag for yourself <laughs> as well, I guess.
4: No, I love. I mean, I, I love the Easter egg stuff and the people who pick up on it. Is my you know one of my favorite things was somebody said on the first one. I love that the only things left in the pharmacy were the bags of chips because they make too many, too much noise. And I put that in super nerd. Like I was like, Oh my God, look at this. This is the only thing that makes noise. And when people pick that up, it's my favorite thing. So the fact that you, you know, you picked up on the spaceship is um, I love that stuff. And certainly the, the great filmmakers that I draw inspiration from do stuff like that all the time.
0: That's one of the things I love about both these movies. You're so good at uh, setting stuff up and paying it off down the line. And there's the the moment at the baseball game. This is basically just me, you know, kissing your ass for for 30 minutes, John, if you're okay I with that. I will take it. <laughs> it's long distance, but I'll make it work somehow. And uh, there's that moment at the baseball game where Emmett and Reagan had their conversation about the sign for Dive. And... I first time around, I thought, "Oh, that might be useful. That might come in handy later on." Uh, How much fun do you have, or how challenging is it as a writer director to seed those little moments to the movie, and then almost make them look like they're thrown away? So it's just a conversation between Emmett and Reagan and and Lee at that point.
4: That's the thing, is and it's it's really um, exciting. That one actually was a perfect example of we had already shot most of the movie and. Uh, I, I, I knew that there would, the the dive moment we, we had just, we were about to shoot, uh, on the docks with Killian. And I thought, oh my God, I can set it up in the, in the baseball game. As soon as I realized that, you know, you slide into home plate and he can just say dive. And when you come up with it, it's almost like you're, you're setting these things up just before you pay them off in the shooting of the movie but it just strengthens the story so much. And so I, and to your point about making them feel subtle, I find that's the only way to do it. I think if you hammer people on the head and they see it coming, then they're going to be looking for it. Mm-hmm. But if you subconsciously incept them as uh, Chris Nolan has taught us, if you can incept them, then, uh, then I think that's, that's the, that's the most fun and yeah, it's slightly emotionally manipulative because I'm definitely setting you up just to rip your heart out later. But, um, it, it's 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 my favorite part of uh, filmmaking, certainly genre in particular.
0: So that's interesting. So you so you were about to shoot it on the docks with with Killian and then you went back and reshot that section or you added in a, a no, day? No,
4: baseball was coming later. So it's, it's one okay. of those things where as the movie, it's almost like when you write the movie and a lot of the other Easter eggs were in there. But that was one of the Easter eggs that as you're, you know, the movie goes from being a script to, you know, a shoot, but then becomes just almost like osmosis becomes a part of you and you start living and breathing it. And so your brain is only thinking about that stuff. And so that was a setup and payoff that we thought of, I think a couple of weeks before we shot the docs, I realized I can do this in, in baseball and baseball was the last thing we shot because we had to shave Killian Murphy's beautiful beard.
0: <laughs> Very sad to indeed,
4: which by the way, I've actually heard people get outraged that I gave them a beard and they were like, you do not cover up that face. <laughs> You understand me, and i 'm like, "Okay, okay, jeez, jeez, and then I remember I put the scarf on him in that scene that 's in the trailer, and I remember people were initially outraged like because I mean boys, his fan club huge they were <laughs> outraged because I was covering his face until they saw that all they could see were the beautiful blue eyes and I was like, "See, you give it and you take away you give and you take away <laughs>
0: uh, Emmett, of course, is the the big addition to the to the cast here and uh, He's constantly compared, especially by Reagan all the way through to, to Lee, of course. And he's a very, very different character. He has very, very different pressures on his shoulders. Um, and casting Killian Murphy is very interesting as well because Killian's played heroes in the past, of course, but he is also known for playing villains. And he can, he has that sort of, he can have that cold blooded streak. Those eyes can turn very icy blue. And at a certain point, you seem to be leading the audience down the path of he might be. The person to worry about, but he's not. Um, can you talk about was that always a plan with him? was that always a plan that he would he would be the solid guy who would come through in the end for for Reagan?
4: Absolutely. So what I was really the, the bigger where it started was the bigger theme of community. this idea of mm. obviously what we just went through this past year is a perfect example. When you go through the darkest moments in life, there is a tendency to become more individualistic because that feels safer in a way. And weirdly, it feels more bold to try to be a part of a community um, because that would be putting yourself out there and, um, you know, in many ways make you selfless, which could be dangerous. And I, I love that dichotomy of a discussion of what would you do in real life? And, and, and neither side is really wrong. If you went through this alien killing world, I can I can understand both sides of it. So I had written this morally ambiguous character who very clearly hadn't decided where he stood on that issue and then is thrust into being with this family. And I always knew that that would be a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing for any actor to pull off. Certainly. I, I I don't know if I could have pulled it off, but I knew that Killian Murphy for me is one of our greatest actors we have. And always I've felt that all the way back to, you know, when the shakes, the barley and things like that. I mean, uh, probably earlier in his career. Mm. But I knew that if he could do this, I I would be so lucky to have him. And then I sent him an email. I always try to reach out to people directly first. And he wrote an email back and he said, this is so weird. But the only time I've ever done this in my career was after A Quiet Place 1, I asked my agent if he could get me your email because I wanted to write you an email. And he was starting to feel very silly about it. Um, And I said, well, isn't it good you didn't send that email? And he said, why? And I said, because I think you were just a kiss ass. And I wouldn't give you this role. <laughs> and he laughed. But it's one of those things where it was sort of kismet. The fact that he loved the movie and wanted to be a part of it in some way. And I was writing a part, meanwhile, that I hoped he would be a part of the movie. And boy, does he fold into the movie so well. Not only being a fan of the movie, but in the cast, it, you know, it's certainly a very strong foursome that's now a threesome of of actors who you really care about and introducing someone else I knew would be a challenge, but someone as good as Killian just jumps right in.
0: Now how much of it as well is is introducing a new character like that a, a sort of not a device necessarily, but something that will uplead the, the Jeopardy stakes. For example, in the first movie in the first movie obviously Lee dies.
4: How dare you tell people that now they're never going to see the first one. <laughs>
0: Damn it. Should have thought that through. Lee, let's just let's just say something happens to Lee. He's incapacitated. Shall we say that? Yeah, exactly. In this movie, you obviously have the Abbots. It picks up right after the first movie uh, leaves off. You're a nice guy, John. You're not going to kill another abbot, You're not going to put them through that misery again, not so soon after what may or may not have happened to Lee. So by bringing in other characters like, like Emmett and like Chiman later on, does that give you more of a leeway in terms of Up in the Jeopardy?
4: Absolutely. I mean- Again, I, I had no intention of doing a second movie. The, the studio had asked me to do a second movie after the first one was successful, but I was so overwhelmed by that success and by the generosity of the audience. Genuinely, Emily and I thought that like five of our friends would see this movie and we'd all high five about it. Little did we know that we had more than five friends by a long shot. We were so overwhelmed by the reaction. I just I didn't think I could do anything as personal or anything that was as meaningful as the first movie. Don't worry. I hope there's a point on the other side of this. But the reason why I jumped into the second one was because I said, if I can organically continue this story, everything has to be organic. I, can, I will never be a part of a sequel just for sequel's sake as far as let's just do this stuff because it would be thrilling um, as a sort of sequel action movie kind of thing. But if everything actually made sense, I'd be into it. And I love the idea that the first movie is about the intimacy, the security, the strength of family, the strength of all of these security systems that they've sent, uh, set up to keep them safe. And once those go out the window, all hell breaks loose. Then organically, the family has to leave the farm. And when they do, they are also leaving their security, which means every single step in Quiet Place 2 um, is the potential end to their lives. And so I knew that you had to introduce other characters because that's what would happen in the real world. New characters might come to you or you would have to run into new characters. And I love actually how Emily plays it, because in the first one of my favorite dichotomies about the first movie is my character is all about security, right? As long as my kids go to bed safe, I've done my job. And her whole thing is we cannot allow our kids to just survive. We need them to thrive. We need them to be real human beings. So she's still teaching them and all that. And what I love about the second one is Emily does this amazing transition where she's now more on my character side from the first one. After all that's happened, she is like, don't trust anybody. Let's just stay here. And all that matters is your safety. And so she actually is one of the people who has to be reintroduced to the idea of community and trusting other people. And so anyway, all those dynamics were were why uh, introducing new characters were fun for me. Certainly as a writing device, it's great because you get to play with new, you know, New toys in the sandbox and and get to to um, expand the world, um, but certainly that was for me one of those things of what would you do if you met someone in this world?
0: Absolutely, you, you have that sense of, of community as well uh, towards the end of the film where they get to the island and realize that oh, actually, you know, for for Emmett in particular, things aren't as bad. There is a sense of, of family and friendship and and fraternity on this island. Then of course it all goes horribly wrong. Um, but and uh, and Chiman Poor old Jimen. John, you kill him. We barely got to know him, Man He's on so Island. Fast.
4: <laughs> just so fast. You know what it is? He's too handsome. And I just thought, someone's got to put you in your place, Jayman. You're too good looking. I'm gonna rip your face off. Is basically what I thought when I was <laughs> when I was doing. None of that is true. He is the nicest person ever. And again, jumped into the role very last minute um, and came prepared. Uh, and just so game for all of it. I will tell you that one of my favorite things is the studio in his big stunt. I guess we're doing spoilers. So, mm-hmm. in his horrible, horrific stunt where I kill him, um, we of course had a stuntman because that's a pretty vicious blow to take on the ground. And after he saw the stuntman do five or six takes, why I was letting the stuntman do five or six takes is just irresponsible. But after he had seen the stuntman do like five or six takes, he came up to me with his, again, very handsome face very sweet face. And he said, "Um, I would like to do one. And I went, are you, are you serious? Like, if you feel comfortable, I would love that. By the way, any other director would be like, no, it's not safe. And I was like, let's rock. And so we attached him to the horrible device. And that is Jimen hitting the ground that hard and that fast and being ripped out a garage door and it's amazing because I've had people be like, oh, my God, the special effects on that were amazing. And I was like, no visual effects. That is Jaimin. he definitely wanted to get ripped out of a garage door. So that's the kind of actor he is. He's not only handsome, but he's incredibly courageous. So that's <laughs> the guy you want to find if we have a creature invasion.
0: Uh, we never see him actually be killed. I mean, we see him being dragged and ripped out through, through the door. So he might be okay. You never know. He might be back. Well,
4: you're right. See, now you're dealing with part three and part three is a disembodied half of Jimon is the sort of leader of this Island with only half his body.
0: <laughs> uh, you bring up part three and obviously Jeff Nichols has been announced as being involved with part three. Um What's what's the what's the status as far as you're concerned? Are you going to be involved with part three?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I came up with the idea. So the story of the 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 third one is going to be the third installment is going to be is something I came up with, and I mean, truly the only person I had in mind uh, when asked whether I would hand this off was Jeff. I think he is one of the best filmmakers. I, Mud is one of my favorite movies, and so real and intimate, uh, and it's exactly what I think you know, the sort of, um, uh, again, the sort of paints we're painting with in Quiet Place is very organic characters that you fall in love with. So he was my first choice for this. And when he said, yes, I was over the moon. I pitched him my story. He's gone and developed the, the world on his own uh, with, you know, that, that jumping off point. And I am so thrilled. He's actually uh, just turning in a script now. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to see him shoot this thing.
0: Obviously, without giving away the ending, John, um, is that is it going to continue the story of of the Abbots? Because you do leave it hanging.
4: Is it? Is it going to continue the Abbots? Who knows? (laughs) Um, No, I will tell you that it is. uh, I'm really excited about the third installment because it's going to do something that we haven't done before. I knew it. I knew it. Space at last. Space at last. <laughs> There's literally no sound. Everyone's safe.
0: That's a title. Quiet Place. Space at last. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we only have about 10 minutes left, but uh, I, I, the last time we did a spoiler special for the first one, we did... We did talk about how A Quiet Place Part 2 might be set on a submarine to be called Run Silent, Run Deep. Um Quiet Place Part 2, even quieter. Stop giving away my ideas.
4: That's Part 4. Come on, man. We're, well, we're doing this John, in steps. I'm
0: furious that you didn't call me, first of all, <laughs> for that. But uh, obviously, you decided to go in a different direction. That's fine. That's your prerogative. But uh, watching this movie, I realized you couldn't have done that because the aliens can't swim. Correct. Where did that idea come from?
4: Um, that was just, a, a, a again, once I started t- tooling with the idea, the way I write is I actually don't put anything on paper, or write anything down. I just keep thinking of the same story over and over and over and over. So the first part is just a scene and then two scenes and three scenes. And then once I can see the entire movie in my head, I write it down. Cause I've answered all the questions I think are, have been asked in my head. And one of the big questions was, you know, why, why was water such a big deal? I actually had that idea in quiet place one, which is they can't swim. That's water. Not only hurts the the ability to hear, um, but it also, you know, you look at the physical makeup of them and they're so thin and these claws are so devastatingly terrifying, but I thought, oh my gosh, but they're so thin and terrifying. They probably can't catch water. It's, you know, they Mm. don't have that little webbing like dogs do when they swim. So they can't swim. And so that, that came up a while ago in, in Quiet Place 1. And then I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we find out through, um, through Killian's perspective? And so that whole boat scene was sort of built around the idea that they couldn't swim. I knew I wanted to show them do full devastation and then show their one weakness. And all through the icy blue eyes of Killian <laughs>
0: And as the creature goes beneath the water is thinking, "Man, did we pick the wrong planet to fade?" Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's all water. What the hell? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, the subtitle in that scene is,
4: "Wait, what?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is this stuff? This is this is total BS. You mentioned there that uh, one of the themes of the movie is the idea that, you know, now Evelyn is stepping into Lee's shoes, so to speak. That the idea is that Reagan and Marcus will step up, and Reagan certainly steps up here. And there's a, it's a really interesting. She almost becomes the main protagonist. She, perhaps she is the main protagonist of the movie. Uh, can you talk about that that decision as well?
4: So, funnily enough, that's exactly the reason why I did the second movie. So, when I told you that the studio had asked me if I would do a second one, and I said no. Um, I had this little idea and the little idea that I had in my head, actually our producer drew form was saying, well, can you just come up with a little idea that I can pitch to writers and directors to take the movie? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. It's this idea that Millie should be the lead of the movie. And he was like, great. And then he was like, well, you write some of these ideas down so we can give them to a writer director to do the movie. And I went, yeah, yeah, of course. And so I started writing an outline for the, script and then he's like you know what the truth is if you could just write the script we'll give it to someone else to direct and i'm like yeah you're right so i started writing the script and as i started writing the script i was like god damn it he just jedi mind tricked me i'm directing this movie and there he was twisting his non-existent beard being like perfect perfect (laughs) so her being the lead of the movie was exactly the the only reason why i wanted to do the movie if the first movie as psychotic as it sounds when you look at the poster is a love letter to my kids um, this second movie is a letter to my kids of what I hope they go on to do in their lives, which is to be bold and be courageous, not only to make themselves happy, but also to make real change in the world. I think the first movie is about the, the promise that all parents make to their kids, which is I'll be there for you forever. And all parents know that that is a promise that will inevitably be broken. And mm-hmm. so the second movie is exactly that it's, it's that promise being broken which I think when that when that promise is broken, that's what growing up is. That's when kids realize they actually have to venture out into the world on their own. Um, it was actually Millie who picked up on this first. I had written this to be, you know, people say you're not in the second movie because you killed yourself in the first one. My <laughs> acting ego is still recovering, but my <laughs> directing ego and writing ego said, um, I'll actually be in the second one in spirit all through um, Regan, who my favorite part of the first movie is, you take a character who believes that she is useless, especially due to what she sees as a handicap that she has, and instead it is not a handicap, it's a superpower, and this little girl now is our warrior princess, Th- the beauty of it is she takes up the mantle of this father. So, um, you know, uh, this idea of, of my character coming through in her character was the reason why I decided to sit down and, and actually write the, uh, the, the sequel.
0: And with that as well, you get the this uh, interesting journey for for Evelyn, um, where the end of the last movie perhaps suggested that this film was going to see Emily go full Ripley, um, and that is absolutely not what you do. You go in the other direction, and and it's 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 Regan who does that in in a way with, of course, Emmett's help. Uh, and Evelyn's journey is really interesting in this because she you know she's wounded, she's emotionally wounded, she's physically wounded. Was part of setting the prologue and reminding us of Lee was par- was that partially to remind the audience of Lee, and the emotional impact that would have on Evelyn, who would therefore not be able to go on this long journey with with
4: Regan. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you should do all my press with me because you you understand all this stuff. This is great. But yeah, it was it was definitely to remind you of that, and also to remind you exactly what you said, which is. Now the movie becomes also about loss. And when people experience such deep, tragic loss, again, there is a version of the story where you want to give up and you don't want to move forward. And certainly that is understandable. And that's where Emily is. Emily is now in the place where she cannot um, withstand any more loss in her life. And so she's going to just batten down the hatches as best she can. Of course, her motherly instincts won't allow any of her kids to, um, be in harm's way or perish. And so she has to go out into the world in a different way to bring back things that will save her family. Um, and I think that, you know, Emily is without a doubt the, the best actor I've ever worked with. She's an unbelievable uh, talent and an unbelievable collaborator. But I also think she has the ability to say so much by doing so little. And I, I just found that she became such a huge presence in the movie um, even though she's sharing probably only half the screen time of the movie, she feels like the lead when the the camera's with her. And of course, Millie delivers that performance in Noah, Millie and Noah, the kids when when it's on the kids, it's their movie and they and they're the uh, the protagonist. so it's it, it was it was a really, really fun thing to split them up.
0: We've only got a couple of minutes left, John, but so I wanted to ask about the the last shot, uh, which is the hearing aid on the radio microphone. Um, and th- the film is, in a way, about how difficult it is to weaponize this incredible discovery that that, that Regan has stumbled upon, that this sound can hurt the creatures. Um, is the final shot an indication of widening the scope of that, of, of weaponizing this? What was your thinking behind that that final shot?
4: That's exactly what it is. It is I wanted to leave it on that shot so that it was open-ended. Not pretentious enough to think that we would do a part three. If we don't do a part three, I still think it's a cool ending. Just to know that, to me, it's not as much about a weapon as it is about a responsibility. And so, at the end of the first movie, there is a responsibility. the the the, the football or the hot potato in the movie is there is a way to save yourselves. Then the second movie is: Do you keep the answer of how to save yourselves to yourselves, or do you bring it to the rest of the world? She's courageous enough to bring it to the rest of the world. Then the ending of the last shot is now that the world knows about it. What will the world do with this? Uh, with this answer and or or with this weapon? Will they be responsible with it, or will they not be responsible with it?
0: And uh, I've just got two last questions. I'm going to ask real quick. One is why beyond one the sea? is
4: why is there a raccoon behind me, and you haven't said anything <laughs> the whole interview?
0: <laughs> I just thought it was a vibe, a general vibe that you were going for. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of my questions is forty-seven questions in one. No, I'm kidding. Um, I wanted to ask about Beyond the Sea. That's that's a very specific choice. And and two, <laughs> even though you are humanitarian and a very nice guy, John Krasinski, uh, you do absolutely butcher a young boy's leg in the first ten minutes of this movie. <laughs> you sick, sick, sicko. Uh, can you talk about that as well, please?
4: Yeah. So Beyond the Sea was one of the first ideas I had um, when I realized that. She would be the protagonist and had to bring the answer to the rest of the world. Where would the rest of the world be? Well, if the creatures can't swim, the only place they'd be is on an island. The song Beyond the Sea is not only one of my favorite songs, Bobby Darin. I'm a huge Bobby Darin fan. um, But I love the idea that how do you communicate with the rest of the world? Like the fires in the first movie, how do you communicate to the rest of the world when you can't communicate everything you want to say and you only have one shot at it? You play a song that hopefully will be a clue to people, which is go out beyond the sea and you'll be safe. Um, I loved that idea and, and it, 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 I loved it. One of my favorite things was intercutting that song amidst true horror. Um, I think it was Emily's favorite shot is when her leg is getting ripped open, right? As Bobby Darren's like beyond the sea. And she's like, ah, it's, it, it's, uh, that was one of my favorite moments of editing period. Um, and then you're, what was the, what was the second question? Oh, oh, ripping a boy's leg off. Yeah. So that's real. Noah's in trouble. He is. We have physically removed Noah's leg, um, but he's committed, you know, he's a committed actor and he's method. So we removed the leg. No, the funniest part about that was not funny at all. Actually. I wrote that scene and I remember Emily said to me after she read it, she came into the room and she said, you know, how she felt about that scene. she's like, it's great. I don't know that you can do that. And I said, no, I know. Like, I think the audience will be able to withstand it. And she goes, no, no, no. I mean, I don't know if legally we're allowed to rip a child's leg off in the movie. It's just so intense. There's just something so intense about it. What made it 10 times more intense is you have this cherubic boy who is so game and such a professional. And he was so excited about it. Like most kids his age, he was like, yes, rip my leg off in a bear trap. The person who was not as excited about it was his mom who was standing right next to me at Video Village, who clearly understood what the scene was going to be. And then I said to him, I said, no, do not scream until we're shooting. Just give, just give me everything you got. And he was like, no problem. Very sweet face. Then the thing goes ka on his leg. And what comes out of him is not even a scream. It's like a primal release. And I watched his mom literally go into like convulsions. I mean, as, as a parent watching the scene with a stranger's kid, it is deeply upsetting to watch the mother watch her son scream in a way that probably she never wanted to hear and never wants to hear again was very difficult. That was a hard day on set for sure. And I just kept looking at her like, and I'm doing this to your kid.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad I brought that happy memory back for you, John. And uh, (laughs) by the way, very quick. Oh my God, the best. Did you think about chiming maybe on the island, putting a band together and making a song that was, you know, just called hey, there's an island over here and you should come to this island because you'll be safe instead of beyond the sea.
4: See, that would be, that's too smart. I'm not smart enough for that. But by the way, I want to see that band. He is <laughs> We've talked about it. He's the most handsome person ever and him singing with his sultry voice to me, I'm up for. I'm here for.
0: Make it happen. Make it happen. John Krasinski, it's been a pleasure once again. Thank you so much indeed.
4: Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. Thanks, man. This is great. So that
0: was John Krasinski. <laughs> <laughs> this is we've we've gone off yeah, the rails yeah. already. This is uh, right down by Spring Creek. Oh Lord. Anyway, um oh I want to do this as blessed for the whole thing now. No. <laughs>
4: and that was John
0: Krasinski. That was John Krasinski. That was fun, wasn't it folks? Yeah. You know when I, I make you listen to the podcast And the interviews in real time. <laughs> we do that. That's natural natural. Natural. Natural.
1: He's 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 a lovely bloke, isn't he, really? He's
0: a, he he's, he's so he's nice. A lovely fella. He's affable, yeah.
1: but you know what, Dan? He's smart with it. Smart yeah. and affable is the I- ideal combination
2: mm-hmm.
0: in
3: any human yeah. being. And most, um, most importantly, he has a beautiful beard.
2: Very beautiful beard. It's right up there with the very best.
0: Uh, also, because I, I interviewed him on Zoom last time we were actually <laughs> in a room, this time we were on Zoom, and I got such Jim from the office vibes. Okay,
2: Is that because he was looking at the camera? He was looking at the camera the entire <laughs> oh time. Oh my God. <laughs> It was so Uncanny. wild,
0: so so wild. I didn't get many Jim from the Office vibes from a Quiet Place Part Two. be completely there's a little with bit you. of Jack
2: Ryan vibes though when he's like running for his life. That's yeah. a bit more. Jack I have Ryan-y. to say,
0: uh, yeah, I I love how quickly and instinctively. Lee, because that's his character's mm-hmm. name, uh, takes off running the second big scary alien monster and slams into that cop car. He doesn't even wait. He doesn't hesitate. Guy could have been a pro athlete because that is split second decision making. <laughs> yep. He just turns and gets the fuck yep. out of there immediately. And he is Love it. correct to do so. He's also the first person to get up,
1: isn't he? When they see the thing in the sky, he's the first one to go,
2: yeah, let's
1: go
3: yeah, somewhere no. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I- I love a guy who makes smart decisions in horror films. I wish that more people <laughs> made smarter decisions in this film. Here we uh, but are. But in that moment, yes, uh, he did the right thing. Get the back out. Me, name me
0: one character who makes a stupid decision in this movie, Amon.
3: Marcus. By no okay, dude. name okay. me two characters oh. who
0: make stupid decisions in this horror film. He's just a kid. Come he's just
3: on. a kid. Markin. He's scared,
2: no he's dude. hurt. <laughs> you know, I, would, I yeah. would say
1: the people on that island, but maybe we'll get to that later.
2: I don't think they make terrible decisions. No, they
1: make one fundamental mistake.
2: Which is not being prepared enough.
1: M- having no lookout.
2: Yeah, Maybe. I'm not sure what a lookout would have seen, necessarily.
1: Just anything. I mean, they, they should, uh, should be as worried about people as they are monsters, given, you know, Scoot McNary and his lot.
2: It is a bit confusing why the Marina people never tried to take on the island. Are they not mm. aware that there are people there? It's literally within sight. You can't see the lights. What the fuck? Mm. There you are, dying of scurvy or whatever oh, How are they going
0: to get there? On, on a, a boat? boat? <laughs> <laughs> on one of their many boats. Where
2: are they going to find a boat? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a little bit of a maybe. Yeah, a little bit of an oversight, perhaps. Mm.
0: There are a couple of things in this film that I think could be construed as maybe a stretch. There's something there's there. The audience is asked to take a couple of stretches, take a little walk down supposition mm-hmm. lane with John Krasinski, but his hand is so warm and comforting <laughs> that you don't really notice that there's stretches until you're out of the cinema in the broad daylight. Or last night, Helen and I went to see this uh, together in our local cinema. Um, Next to some very noisy eaters, Who did does not that? enjoy that. I was watching them. Ugh. If it had been my first go round in this movie, I would have been infuriated. I may even have have gone, a, a, you know, down the route of, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, can you keep that down, please? I might have un- uncorked that wow. beast. You know wow. what I'm Oof. saying? I know.
2: Serious, serious, serious
0: times. The rage monster would have been unleashed. But you know, when we came out last night. We were standing. We were talking about some of the some of the potential plot holes. Mm. But I tell you what, this was the first time I'd seen it with a proper. Audience, as in, there were people around me both times. I've seen this three times now on the big screen. Uh, each time, the first two times was in a, was in a press screening, fairly sparsely attended. So, you, even though it was affecting me and all the jump scares were working, I didn't get a sense if I was working on other mm-hmm. people. But last night, I got a real sense because even by the end. When you have that almost deliberately over-the-top, almost Sucker Abraham, Sucker level of parody in terms of the scene where Millicent Simmons' Reagan is being helped through the window at the radio station and her foot is hovering over the the desk and Krasinski puts all these different <laughs> obstacles in front of her that could make <laughs> noise if she steps on them. And it's it's almost like one of those said I said things where it goes on for, yep. for minutes. Like you know she could have stepped on like a, a trumpet or you know like a mouth organ or a cat or or something like that. But that scene, that was, I'd seen it for the it was the third time for me, and I was still <laughs> tense. I know how it works. I know how it's going to resolve itself. And I was still tense. And I was watching the noisy eaters who had stopped eating noisily and had stopped speaking noisily and they were fully infested and they were screen pointing. You know screen pointing? Where you point towards the screen because you don't want what's going to happen to happen. And they were absolutely in it. And so for all that there are, little detours, little stretches where it may not entirely make sense. And mm. this, yes, it's probably not as good as the first one. He absolutely had mm-hmm. me. There you go. Mm. I'll stop speaking mm-hmm. now. Someone
3: else speak. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we haven't really discussed what we thought of the film yet, so we should probably do that first. So,
0: Yes, you do
2: that.
3: I was going to say that I too may have been guilty of screen pointing and hand waving <laughs> and almost standing up waving at the screen, what are you doing? gesticulating um (laughs) throughout the film (laughs) uh which is a sign that the horror film is doing its job i i like this one i think the first one is better but not really because of anything a quiet place 2 does wrong per se i just think that the approach the sequel is taking is different to the original and because of that i do think it loses a little bit of the USP of this franchise because I think one of the reasons why the first film works so well is because the entire film is really you know you cannot speak you cannot make a sound or you are dead just by nature of the sequel we have people actually genuinely having conversations um you know j- just by that and the way in which the world is expanding and, and what it's doing with its characters it's just a different film but because it does that, I feel like it loses a bit of the tension which is where the first film really hung its hat and really sort of vatched up the tension all the way up until this really thrilling climax with this family who were together all the way through the film. I just think by nature of what the film was trying to do, um, it gets away from what made the first film so effective in, in certain ways. But there are still sort of really good moments of tension all the way through um including the one that you mentioned and uh and yeah i i found it very effective for the most part
1: i i absolutely loved it um i really like the fact that it didn't seem to even though it cost three times as much to make as the first one or thereabouts
2: twice i think yeah
1: so um yeah I, I really like the fact that it was it was a part two it was a continuation it wasn't trying to do bigger better more or anything we we weren't going to their planet or meeting the queen or or you know going to different parts of the world it just picked straight up We'd and watch I, I can- all of that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but it did split it did split the fellowship so so it did do that sequel cliche so it did split the uh, the family but I, I kind of love the fact that you could quite easily re-edit both films so you put the prologue to this film on the front of of the first film play the first film then play the second film and it would work as a coherent three-hour movie i think you might notice things like perhaps the kids are a bit older than they should be or something. But i no, yeah. them completely different. <laughs> one of them is entirely different. Yes, indeed. Or <laughs> uh, uh, well, two of them, I guess, if uh, the, the baby ain't the same, is it? Um, no, but, um, true. Anyway, yeah. but, but, but that aside, I actually really like the continuity of it. I like the fact... That, that it was modest enough in a sense to just be another episode. Uh I also mm. I so I love the shifting of Regan to to main character. Uh I, I did feel Emily yes. Blunt was a bit underused, but at the same time I thought, you know, Regan as 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 the Ripley of the film was 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 a really smart move. Uh and I thought Killian Murphy was a great addition. Uh, mm. I like the character mm-hmm. of Emmett. I like the fact that if you know Kelly Murphy's work. You'd be kind of expecting him to actually go mad and try and kill them all and be the threat. So it kind of, I think, it toyed with certain expectations in that sense. You know, is he gonna, is he going to do a Dunkirk? But uh, but no. You know, I kind of like the fact that he he actually he he grew and emerged as as the new hero slash father figure.
2: I don't think anyone has ever used "Do a Dunkirk" in that context before. That is, that is if, if that has a meaning, that ain't what that means. But you know, uh,
1: do a Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk.
2: Okay, that's better. That's better. Yeah. Yeah I I'm I, I think largely agree with both of you I think it raises the stakes and widens the world just the right amount um and yes that results in a little bit of a loss of pu- of the purity of just focusing on one family in one space but at the same time I think it's um it justifies its its slightly bigger scope without without going too huge I, I have to say I'm on though I disagree about like conversations I thought there was again just the right amount there's always a reason where they have to have a conversation, they always have to think about how they can talk and why it's safe to do so. You know, so they have to be in the drunk tank or the you know the, the air the airproof tank and, and that kind of thing, mm. um, or they have to be super duper whispering, or you know, or there has to be some kind of ambient noise around them or something. So I liked that that wasn't an easy thing even now.
3: I'm not even necessarily talking about the that I, all, all of that works well. I'm talking about when we get to the island. And with Jaimon Honsu's uh, mm. character and, and his sort of village, like just having that in a quiet place film, knowing sort of how little conversation there was in the first one and how you really got the sense in the first one, like, you know, if you make a sound and these people are going to come out of the screen and yeah. eat me. So you guys better shut up. I didn't really uh, get all of that impact in this one all the way through where but I, think I think- with the first one you do. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I mean, that's such a small part of the film, though, I feel like. I don't know, I just, I just, I feel like the, they have to make that a place of safety, like, all the way, or it doesn't work at all. Like, it has to be, be safe to talk, or, it, you know, or it can't work at all. And actually, it's bloody useful that they find that, because I have, one of the big questions I was raising with Chris last night is, if the baby goes through at least a tank of oxygen in a day, what the fuck were they going to do with that baby? Jesus Christ. That was not sustainable. I don't know.
0: Is the baby going through a tank a day? It I don't, seems it to be just, a tank it, a day. It's a twenty a day man. <laughs> I I wonder if it, maybe the tank was half empty, or it depends on your point of view. Half full. Well, uh, I mean, I knows? think that, that
2: if it's an oxygen tank in that situation, it's always half empty rather than half full. I'll be yeah. honest. I don't think even an optimist would probably concede that. But um, but no, I mean this. That's the one that uh, Krasinski and and presumably Blunt had sourced in the first film, uh, Lee and Evelyn, if you like. So yeah. they. Seem like the kind of people who would have tried to get a full one.
0: Well, you think that they would also be in, you know, being survivalists. Yeah,
2: stockpiled some more.
0: You think that they would have some more? Yeah. Yeah. Just, but, but hey, oh, we're nitpicking again. I we're mean, nitpicking yeah, again. But- we're, you know, let's take John Krasinski's warm bear-like mm. hand, <laughs> and we'll we'll amble down
2: non-memory lane,
0: plot hole avenue, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just we'll just we'll just. We'll get to that stuff. We'll we'll get to that stuff. Because I thought this, yeah, I thought this movie was largely terrific. I think the first one is absolute stone cold classic. I think it's it came out of nowhere. Mm. We weren't doing a spoiler special on it until I saw it and absolutely fell head over heels for it. By the way, apologies if anyone can hear. In an outbreak of irony that Alanis could appreciate, um, there are workmen who have appeared. They've materialized outside my flat right now, and they're clanging and banging away. So if you do hear anything, uh, then it's lem. <laughs> if you hear like someone being hammered, then that's a uh, not. In, oh God. Anyway, not a drunk
2: way <laughs> or the other way. Not in the yeah, drunk okay. way or indeed okay. a sexy way. Uh,
0: I, don't I literally think can't either hear of that. those Hi things are for happening. a second. They've, they're not oh, okay. there now, but they oh, will okay, be. Fine. They were. They were clanging and banging just two seconds ago. But anyway, let's get back to the film. And the, uh, uh, I thought it was absolutely terrific. And before we get into the minutiae of the film, I want to talk about the specific choice that Krasinski has made here to make this a part two and to pick it up almost exactly where the last movie leaves off, which is, of course, a horror film tradition. It happens with a, a great number of, of horror mm-hmm. films that I can think mm-hmm. of down the years. Two that are springing to mind right now are, for example, oh, um, Halloween, Halloween, Two picks up right from Halloween. Hellraiser Two picks up right from the end of Hellraiser. Dan, you were going to throw some more into the ring there. No, I, I was going to say
1: Halloween. You, you got there for me. Okay. Um,
0: Friday the Thirteenth Part yes. Two kind of does yes. that as well. There's a little bit of a time jump, um, but you know, not too, not too much of a one. So it's a grand tradition. So were you surprised by that? Because again, this is a a, a concept and a conceit that can translate really, really well. It can be applied to any number of situations. Uh, you could have one in the high rise. You could have one in the Pentagon. You could have one, uh, well, maybe not in the submarine, given what we now know about these beasties. But you could have one pretty much anywhere on the planet that you would struggle not to make noise.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that would be quite interesting. But he's chosen to anchor it in the Abbott yeah. family's story. Yeah.
2: I think that's correct i think I think, um I think if you'd lost the family, you lose something that makes a quiet place specifically what it is, and look, that's not to reject the quiet place, extended universe that you know somebody out there may well be plotting. there's you know there are there is room for all those stories if somebody's got a really great take to tell them, sure, fine, but that's not what this is, and I think he was absolutely right to keep the focus on the family because that was a really, really integral part of the first one, and also because. They found a weapon that works, and if we just leave them and never hear from them again, it's a bit like, well, wait, isn't doesn't that matter? Isn't that important? Isn't that out there somewhere? This way, it, it is getting out there potentially, and I really hope also that Reagan, by the way, is or Regan, Sorry, is um, recording that noise, so it doesn't depend on that one tiny fragile little device. Well, quite tough little device, in order to, you know, keep it going.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um- I just think that the way that the first film ends is just such a great image. And just purely on the fact that like I want to see what happens next immediately afterwards because that's such a cool ending. So I definitely think it was the right choice to sort of stay with the fam and you know a s see what happens next uh, to a degree. Um I would have been sort of, you know, wanting that question answered were I not to have seen it.
0: But well, he knows Krasinski will have known obviously that Millicent Simmons and Noah Choop are mm. growing up, and so he's got that to deal with. And he chooses not to go for a, a time jump. So he doesn't pick up the action two years later and the abbots have moved about five five meters away from their house, maybe. <laughs> you know, or he hasn't, you know, picked it up with the this frequency being weaponized mm. and being used to fight back. He's chosen to pick it up directly. And I think that's really interesting, despite knowing that, you know, there's gonna to have to be a suspension of of disbelief yeah. with the ages and a great deal of many things in this, <laughs> including the idea of alien creatures that hunt uh, by sound. Uh, Dan, did you have a thought well, on yeah, that? yeah,
1: I mean, uh, not so much on that specifically, more the fact that focusing on the family was a smart thing to do, because actually the creatures aren't, so I, this sounds like I'm really damning them, but it, the creatures aren't that interesting in the sense that there's not really much to them, you know, there's no, and I like that. I like that. They are just forces of nature. They want to catch you and... They don't even seem that bothered about eating you, to be honest. Judging by all the corpses left lying around, they.
0: I don't think. I think they're. I think they're weapons weapons weapons, rather than. There you
1: go. That's good. Good. Yeah. I hadn't really thought that uh, much about it. I just. I. I didn't really feel the need to. Um. They don't. They don't particularly represent anything or anything like that. So. So. They are a device. They're a device for the thrills and the scares and everything. So you. You kind of unless you're going to devote some time to developing the lore of the monsters which actually I'm not that interested in then absolutely it makes sense to continue straight on with that story and also the first film was so brilliantly tightly constructed it, you know it didn't it, it's, it's hermetic like we, we said earlier so it's, it just makes sense to sort of go back inside that and then if you're going to expand things out a bit to do it very gradually with them uh with that family uh the abbots rather than it would have just been ah uh, it would have been too much of a of a disconnect. It would have been too painful to just suddenly leap and be somewhere else with different people mm. and and you know like those other scenarios all sound fun. But yeah, it it's it would just be it just would have been annoying. It would have been like, oh I don't want that. Although I, I, I am curious about this apparently mooted Jeff Nichols spin-off but I'm mainly interested in that because I like Jeff Nichols. Um, so I don't think it's a spin off. I think it's Oh, is that three. actually part yeah. three? Right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I, I read, I read, I read one story which described it as a spin-off and obviously that got updated and I didn't see it.
0: So, um, so yeah. I mean, Krasinski, Krasinski was careful in the interview not to directly say that it's going to be A Quiet Place part three, but it seems to be mm. A Quiet Place part three, that he's going to move on to do other things. And he's, you know, he's come up with the idea with Jeff Nichols and he's going to let Jeff, Nich- Jeff Nichols go nuts carry on the story. But whether it's the Abbott story, uh, he wouldn't commit to mm-hmm. that. So it, it, this is one that might open it up a mm-hmm. little
2: bit. I mean, I think what was what was good about keeping picking it up absolutely immediately, I mean, he said on set that he had an idea for the sequel already. And then I, I think a couple of times on the publicity trail, he denied that and said it had been, you know, it it's taken a while to, to come up with a, the sequel. So I'm not sure maybe he had a notion and then, you know, it, it took a while to develop it into a script. Perhaps I don't know, but I, th- I think it kind of works because that moment uh, where the f- first film ended where they've they've suddenly got a weapon, they've suddenly got a way to fight back, but they also have you know no Lee and a newborn baby it's it's a really for want of a better word, pregnant moment. And you do want to know what happens next and you do want to know how they kind of progress from there because on one hand they have the ultimate weapon. On the other hand they are super vulnerable. And that's a great, great um, place to pick it up again.
0: Yeah, Still a lot of stuff to get into. I really want to talk about the prologue uh, mm. because the prologue is, I think, a tremendous bit of filmmaking given that we know that all the main characters are going to survive and you're still <laughs> incredibly, (laughs) incredibly tense. It's also a really skillful bit of setup. It's a really skillful bit of foreshadowing. I'm sure we weren't all alone in thinking the second that Regan shows Emmett what the sign is for dive, that that might come in handy down the line, but that's, (laughs) that's fine. I really liked that sort of stuff. And it also, it sheds a little bit of light on the invasion and when it happened and how it happened. That, of course, Begets more questions, but I really <laughs> liked this. I thought it was really, really effective bit of suspense and action. Mm. What did you make of it?
1: Absolutely, I love I love I love oners. I love long takes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for mm. them. I know they're getting so overdone now, but even so, just the fact that it, obviously it wasn't one big long take or anything like that. But he he he. That's how he. That's his style, and and it works so well in that sequence.
2: That's also new DP Polly Morgan uh, doing that. I think that that mm-hmm. shot of him walking along the street and you get his reflection in the shot in those shop windows, but not crucially the camera's reflection is uh, is really. How do they of- do that? I always
1: love it when that. I'm just like every time there's a reflection in a film, I'm like, "Oh, we're going to see the camera crew in a minute," and you never do. I mean, not these days, at least. They they must use com- they must use computers or something. Something no, weird. Go into eh? the,
0: they go into the mirror dimension and they mm, film from ah, there. So yeah, that's, that's, that's it we can't see them, but they <laughs> yeah, can see us. That's what it yeah. is.
2: But anyway, yeah, it's, it is beautifully done.
0: Yeah, and while we give it shout outs, I'd like to give a shout out to the sound design team and the sound editing team on this movie. You know, again, the creature effects, we heard those noises in the first movie. They're fantastic. I, I love the way Krasinski transitions from what we hear to what Regan would hear, you know, the way he does dips us into her world that's fantastic and that opening scene as you said Helen when he's walking down the street the way that they bring the sounds of the town to life around him because you think everything's dead at the beginning but he's walking down the street and that shot you can hear every shot that he goes past the sounds of the ball game it's all there uh, in stark contrast with the the absence of noise the movie's really really great at silence once again as was the first movie great great stuff
1: yeah. And, and, I, and I, I love that sort of sense of dread. Like I say, even though you've kind of, we've already started after it's all happened. There's just that moment. It's just like the the, the best bit of Independence Day is when the ships arrive. So there's just yeah. that, that, that moment of people looking in the sky and seeing the thing happening. And I don't know, I imagine that happening all the time. Just all the time. I just like leave my house in the morning and I'm just like, I'll just check the sky, make sure nothing big and scary is crashing down on us. Um, and, and it's mm. just I don't know there's just something about it there's
3: just something about enjoyable dread first of all Dan the best bit of Independence Day is when Will Smith punches an alien in the face and says welcome to Earth I just had to say that uh- <laughs> 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 secondly the prologue I think, is by far and away the best scene in the movie and I just just for that scene alone I'm so happy that Krasinski delayed this movie because this was my first movie back and I saw it in an IMAX and just watching it in that format enhances that scene so much and it's like this is this is a scene that deserves the big screen experience and they really make full use of that uh the wanna is great the tension is great i love how they sort of set the scene and then immediately you know when the aliens come you can see the difference um you know and what of the of the impact that it has on the world in microcosm it's just really really smart and Mm. I, I Part of me wants to sort of, you know, see day two, day three, day four uh, in other um, places in the world to see mm. how things change as well, just on the basis of that scene, because it's so effective.
0: I did wonder actually, if when they started off with day one, I thought, is he going to do a Godfather part two? Is that one of the reasons why this is called part two, that he's going to do prologue, you know, he's going to do prequel and sequel at the same time, and he's going to keep flashing <laughs> back to Lee and the rest of his family, Handling it, or is this just a special guest star appearance by John Krasinski mm. and it turns out <laughs> to be the latter? Um, I would have I wouldn't have minded that actually, although it might have maybe dissipated some of the tension that's pretty yeah. successfully built up later on in the film. Yeah, and, I think yeah. I
2: think this this keeps it more tense because you get this yeah. short, sharp shock of seeing what the aliens can do and really literally go to town on people. And yeah. then um and then you're right back in it with the remaining abbots.
0: And you also get a sense just a sudden reminder of how capable he was, mm-hmm. as I say, we' where immediately the alien appears and he starts running in the other direction, and he yeah. very, very quickly cottons on to the fact that they're homing in on sound somehow he may not know exactly what it yeah. is, but he's figuring out in real time that it's it's sound it's not sound, of course, it's terrible, but that it is sound that they use to hunt humans. Mm. Uh, and so that whole sequence is, is really, really cool. Um, it does, of course, take place in day one. Now, if we were to take John Krasinski's hand and amble down Plothole <laughs> Avenue, does this open up some plot holes, potentially? The fact that they, the aliens arrive on day one, we, we, see in, we see in a quiet place that there are newspapers with the headlines, it's sound printed on it, and like he has different bits of pamphlets and leaflets that, you know, that he's trying to use to figure out what the weakness is of the creatures. And if they attack here on day one, then there's no way those newspapers would have even got to that town.
2: Maybe he printed them up from online, right? He printed them from online (laughs) and then mocked them them up in the exact
0: style of a newspaper. That's (laughs)
2: That's what it was. That makes total perfect sense. Okay.
0: All right. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) that in my, in my headcanon, for this movie you know there's a, a ground attack on the world because that's what it is right it's not just you know this movie also I think makes it clear that this is an attack of some kind it's not mm-hmm. just a a you know whoops a meteor has landed that just happens to have these unkillable well fairly unkillable creatures on it that this is a worldwide seemingly coordinated attack uh, I also did quite like the. I don't know if this was a deliberate nod to how the US regards other countries, but when he goes in and sees that Shanghai has been hit by a meteor and the death toll is catastrophic and, and incalculable, and he just kind of goes, eh, ah, okay," and he goes <laughs> on to a baseball game.
2: Oh, that's sad. Anyway, I've got these yeah. eight oranges, so <laughs> if you could just add them to my tab. That'd be yeah. cool. And he never pays for those oranges. Oh, that ever. must have that must have upset him. Do you know what? He probably went back and left some money on the counter. It's probably no. Fine. I
0: think this is why he deserved to die in the first movie. Cosmic karma. <laughs> It'll get you every wow. single time. And oranges, of course, as we all know in the Godfather movies, are not movies, the only fruit. Oh,
2: they are sorry, not the they're only symbols fruit. of death. Right? Okay. They yeah.
0: symbols. They symbols of death. That's right, <laughs> Helen. They symbols of death. They aren't. They are signifiers of death. Yep.
2: Well, they certainly are for um, from uh, for Ocariote from Hamilton. Yes. Hercules Mulligan doesn't get the fuck back up again, which is which is very but upsetting he, for me. But he, I mean, he did, because I mean he did after the first time, but not after yeah. the second time.
0: Well, it's because he was trying to have intercourse over four sets of corsets. <laughs>
2: really, in the middle of an alien attack? I mean, <laughs> well, fair play no, to him.
0: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> those sexy aliens. Um, so, what did you think of of that aspect of the the opening out, the world building, that it's all happening on day one?
1: I, I went now, now, now you've made me think about it. I'm a bit disappointed, but I wasn't really thinking about it, <laughs> which is, I think, that the, the, the whole key to the film is just a ride, isn't it? Without yeah. wanting to go down that horrible, cliche route. That you but, shouldn't that,
0: stop to think about it. You shouldn't yeah. stop to think about whether the governments of the world would have figured out, once they figured out the sound, that they might have put some money into figuring out if it's a yeah. frequency that might discombobulate these monsters. Mm. I maybe. mean
1: everyone's disconnected so maybe someone else has figured that out and it's been figured out on a, on on a, on 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 a, on a wider scale. But well, I mean it would have been I don't know to me maybe more satisfying f- for the for the impact of whatever's come down to happen and then whatever days will pass weeks weeks maybe you know perhaps the the things that turn into the alien weapons are uh, a little pods on it that need to come out and crack open and grow and then you know it's so 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 it's more appealing to my mind that it would have been a sort of a slow thing and that it would be more gradual rather than, oh, things come out of the sky and then literally minutes later, something's jump off of the thing that's come out of the sky and run however many miles it was and <laughs> and darted across that street and start attacking people.
2: Maybe they didn't come from that meteor. And maybe, I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I'm trying to, you know, fill up plot holes. You know me. Um, maybe... The, the, the attacks were not sort of planned to hit major cities first. Because this is slightly upstate New York, right? So they might not have success. They might have been aiming for the city and, and actually okay. missed.
0: I have no idea because I have no idea about the geography of America.
2: It all. literally says, it, it, it like on the map, it literally says it's New York State. Also, it was shot in New York State. So I think it's meant to be around there. It's it's, it's a couple of hours outside Manhattan.
0: Okay, because when you go to the, the, um, the train station, the Spring Creek train mm. station, at one point when it's, this is the benefit of seeing the movie three times when it's mm-hmm. panning along, tracking along rather the, um, the, the platform, you know, with all the, the scattered shoes and the discarded bags, which yeah. indicates that something bad has happened here, uh, which is <laughs> Forrest Whitaker in Species, something bad happened here. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Thanks, Anyway,
3: <for> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Do you
0: think, um, there's a little advertisement for the New York water transit Water transit, and I was like, "Oh, New York! It must be close to New York, but it just feels mm. southy to me." And they I don't mentioned know why. the
2: New York, the Long Island Sound as well, so it's it's Did definitely they? just north of New York. Yeah, mm.
1: I thought there was a musical thing. Okay, I tell you what, though, the aliens are lucky that those meteorites didn't land in the sea.
2: They are. <laughs> That's so <laughs> true. Like, oh, They're this <laughs> is really bad planning. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like
1: you know, it's, it's it's the old science thing. It's like this planet's two thirds water, right? So we're gonna we're gonna send these things crashing down. Oh, to prey on all the land, inhabitants. They've all, they've all landed in the two-thirds of the stuff on, on the planet that our weapons yeah. can't can't actually travel through. Who Damn. let
0: Derek drive, <laughs> yeah. for the love of
2: God? And why do they want to eat us? Because we're like 70% water too, so it doesn't make any sense in science. Maybe
0: that's why they don't eat us. Uh, maybe that's why they just kill us, and then they taste us, and they go, ugh. They're not as shit as the aliens in
1: science, which, yes. No. They they just can't swim. <laughs> And, you know, I'm not surprised. It makes sense. Look at those silly long legs they've got. Mm, They've got hooks for hands. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You can't swim with that. You can't make the S shape that's required to spoon the water back and to shovel. Mm-hmm. This is my understanding of how swimming works. You mm-hmm. shuffle your way through the water, right? Sure. With, with a flourish and uh, you glide like Namor the Submariner uh, by <laughs> making an S shape with your arms and then getting your elbows all perpendicular and stuff. I don't know. I only learned to swim a few years ago. Uh, anyway, but you know, I won up on them.
3: <laughs> the creatures do look impressive, like a, a lot more. Uh, this movie, we see them in the daylight. And Mm. uh, ILM really do good work in uh, making them uh, still scary enough, um, at least to me, uh, in the the daylight. They're, They're quite
2: demogorgony, aren't they?
3: Yes, definitely got that vibe. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they, they, I mean, it goes all the way back to whatever, alien, doesn't it? The, a thing that's basically teeth, you know, its head is teeth. Yeah, yeah but there's, the, there's... the sort of,
2: I mean, the kind of flowering of the head, you know, that, the, 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 oh, almost, yeah, the opening up thing, that, nice, that, that sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's what yeah. reminds me of Stranger Things. But it also makes sense for the design of these creatures. I remember on the first film, he he talked about that being one of the first things that he wanted to get designed, that it was really important Mm -hmm. to get your monsters kind of locked in early and know what your characters were looking at. And then they redesigned them anyway. So um, (laughs) they ended up looking very unpleasant indeed.
0: So the end of the first movie, I talked about this with Krasinski, the end of the first movie promises a movie that this does not deliver. It promises us something that this doesn't deliver, which is Emily Blunt going full Rita Fertowski yeah and, you know, kicking the ass of these alien beasties with her shotgun and, of course, Regan's new magical frequency. What's the frequency, Kenneth? It's E. And it's really interesting that he doesn't do that. He backs away from that. And as you say, you know, Regan comes to the fore. What's your take on that? Because it's also the scene where Evelyn... Literally asks Emmett to help and to go and try and find Regan when she's gone.
2: Mm. I mean, she she's literally within twenty four hours of giving birth at that point and stepping mm. on the world's biggest nail. Um, <laughs> she has then lost her husband, um, left her home, mm-hmm. and walked I don't know a couple of miles up a railway track where yeah. whereupon her son has been trapped in a bear trap. Uh, the really. Way that made me wince. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um and, and I I think that thinking I cannot go after my daughter and successfully bring her back, especially against her will, mm-hmm. um, at that point makes total sense. Her son is lying there potentially, you know, infected with rust or whatever. Um I see. Also, who, who's going who's gonna to <laughs> feed the baby as she goes? What is the baby going to eat as she goes? She, she literally Marcus. has one foot, not literally, she figuratively has one foot nailed to the floor. Yep. She literally had one foot nailed to the floor. Now she has. That's all fair.
0: <laughs> that is, and that's pretty much what Krasinski said, but she yeah. does take a back seat. So you, were you interested by that? Interested in that? Surprised by that?
3: I was a bit surprised by that, but I think it works. I mean, as fun as it would be to see her go for Rita Vitaski, we have seen that before. I think with the way in which they choose to go with this it's just it's more vulnerable, but it's also more interesting. And Emily Blunt isn't in this as much as I would like, but the scenes that she is in uh, are very, very powerful. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yeah i i like I like where they went with it. Hmm.
1: It's not. It's it's just nice to have something, you know, a decision made based on know, driven by the characters. It's like everything that Helen just said makes absolute perfect sense Mm -hmm. for her. Also, there's the fact that I I, I might have just read this into it, but I'm pretty sure Emmett's a military guy or was a military guy.
2: No, he has a a brother who works on the base. Yeah, there's a brother that works on the base because there
1: was a reference to a base. But so I, I just got the impression that he was capable you know, in in that yeah, he, in, in he is that capable, way,
2: I think, though,
1: yeah. Um, so, and 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 he seems to be all the way through. He seems to be very attuned yeah. in the same way, to be honest. That that that, that, that Lee is, but um, yeah, I just think it's it's be true to your characters. That's 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 a good thing to do. Yeah.
2: The the other thing is like I I never felt she was less than tough as nails. Like I mm-hmm. never for a mm-hmm. second felt like she is in any way wilting or shine retiring or anything else. She yeah. just seemed like you know, she couldn't do everything at once and therefore she, she asks him to help but she, she doesn't, you know, she still goes off on a mission because she has to, so there's no sort of shrinking violet, there's no kind of you know, collapsing on the couch with vapours um, at any mm-hmm. point or anything like it.
0: Absolutely. But at the same time, she's also on the verge the entire time, isn't she? She's mm-hmm. on the verge of cracking up, you can see yeah. exhaustion and the grief of losing her husband as well. I really hope everyone who's listened to this has seen A Quiet Place. Uh, spoilers, by the way, for A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just, I just, you, you know, there's a moment where she has to confront the cross that was there for their mm-hmm. first child, whose name I can't remember. Uh, and she leaves a wedding ring on it. So she's constantly on the verge of breaking down. So yeah, absolutely. I, I will, I will buy that. I will buy that and go along with that. So, uh, we have a couple of questions. I'm going to just stud them through. I completely forgot to ask people four questions before we started this. So, we've only got a couple of questions uh, sent in in the last few minutes. We have one from the uh, best selling novelist Adrian McKinty, uh, who wrote, of course, The Chain. Now, Adrian thinks. I think Adrian's under the impression that this is a question for John Krasinski. That interview has already happened, Adrian, but I wanted to discuss it. I think it's an interesting discussion point. Uh, He's talking about how he was stunned by the killing of the kids so early in the first movie, which raised the stakes brilliantly and made you think that anyone could die at any time. That's interesting in that it does set up those stakes. In this movie, I guess equivalent of that is Marcus getting his leg bear-trapped to fuck Mm. in the first few minutes. But is there also a sense that Krasinski, he's a nice guy. He's Jim from The Office. He's not going to, you know, foist any more suffering on this family. So our core four, the Fantastic Four, if you will, are safe. And so is Emmett introduced for an element of peril?
2: I mean, maybe to an extent, but I think one of the reasons that Evelyn takes a back seat, is uh, is so you can wonder about her a little bit, just a little mm-hmm. bit, if she wouldn't make the same sacrifice as her husband. Because I think she absolutely would if she had to. And yes. I don't think she has to at any point here. Um, so I think you're meant to worry about her and you're definitely meant to worry about Emmett, because it does feel like a, lo- a lot like history might repeat itself. And of course, it kind of does because another patriarch in Jaiman Hunsu does. You know, die in the course of this uh, when he's worrying about his family and he's worrying how to protect them, uh, which was a bit of a shame, quite frankly.
3: It's yeah. a lot of a shame. Yeah. I, mm. I wish Jaimon Honsu had more to do. And I find myself saying that about so many films, especially blockbuster films that Jaimon Honsu is in. Mm-hmm. This guy is in so many franchises, but he's only in them for a few minutes until something happens or he just only gets like 10 minutes of screen time. And I'm like, he's a German very busy Huntsu, man. For goodness sake, this is you know, the guy who had Maximus' back in Gladiator. Give him something to do. Because um, I'm such a big fan. And when he went out like that, and I didn't feel like his death scene was. He could have he been smarter about how he conducted himself. Um, and I, I didn't like the way he went out. I didn't like that he went out so early. Give me more Diamond Honsu, is basically what mm. I'm saying.
0: Man on Island, we barely knew ye. Let's have a minute's silence for Man on Island. That'll do. Uh, so-
2: <coughs> You're a monster. <laughs>
0: no, but it is. It, we we were talking about, you know, one of, the, one of the great things about both these movies is that they tend by and large, I would say, to avoid the uh, horror movie cliche where characters act in really, really stupid ways just because that's what the plot requires. Mm-hmm. There's a, an element of that with Jimon's character yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's an element of that when with the bit where Marcus, you know, goes exploring in the creepy steel mill at night when he doesn't need to, which then of course brings yes. the creatures looking for him and exactly. then Evelyn comes back just in time. Those are those are the two moments you're going, "Why are you doing this? Why are you exploring? Stay with your possibly infected leg
3: and look after the baby, you idiot." These were the moments where I was gesticulating at the screen, as Helen can attest. <laughs> he like, was. Doing, oh, he could have. He could have
1: found something useful, like a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and, or, and or a Nintendo Switch charger.
0: Yeah, or a 5.1 surround sound system. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, Why would that have been useful? Drum kit. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Could have found any manner of things that make noises. Uh, but it, it it is interesting. I think that bit. Because I think you're right about Emmett being introduced, or maybe I'm right. I can't remember who said it, but Emmett's introduced to to give you know, to be expendable, potentially. That was me. Right? Okay, it was you. Okay. Well done, Helen. So Emmett is introduced to potentially be expendable. Like, oh, they could kill Killian Murphy, but I think I think it might have been me, but it might also have been Dan. I will take credit for both. He's also introduced (laughs) because he's Killian Murphy. And we talked about this a little bit (laughs) with Krasinski in that he, you know, he's Killian Murphy. He's Jackson Ripner. He is the Scarecrow. He is Bloke from Picky Blinders. He has blood on his hands and murder in his eyes, those cold blue eyes of his. And there's an element of, I think you're meant to suspect that he could be a Baden. Right up until the point where Scoop McNary and his scurvy knaves attack them on the dock. Even, even maybe the bit where he comes back and Reagan thinks that she, he's deserted her and then he comes back and he gives her the hearing aid. I think even after that, you're maybe meant to think, is this guy on the up and up? And so that sequence, which I think is tremendous, is a really, really tremendous example of, of cross cutting. That sequence where you're cross-cutting from you have all the different elements, you have fire giving way to water, and you have water and there's air, and it's all he's playing with all these these, you know, different bits of 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 imagery as well, Krasinski. That sequence I think is really, really tremendous. Mm. And I think you're meant to think with Marcus going on the walkabout, um, you know, finding all the pictures that that Emmett has drawn of his yeah. his boy boys, feels, I presume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finding the 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 corpse of his wife. You're meant to think at that point: Is this Emmett's big secret? Are we going to find out that he actually is a wrongan? So that you know, I think that's interesting in, in terms of keeping people on the wrong on the wrong foot right up until yeah. that moment.
2: I think the movie making there was very much in line with the macabre discovery, kind of uh, oh mm. my god, he was a psycho all along, kind of stuff, or he's a psycho now at least. We've seen that play out in a million other horror films, and it absolutely, the grammar in that sequence 100% is meant to think you, make you think that. And then twist, it's actually Killian Murphy and Jim from 28 Days Later mode. Who knew?
3: Mm. I really like how Emmett and Reagan's relationship develops. It's a little bit underwritten, but the acting is so strong. Even the small moments where, like when um, Reagan sort of turns his head and Make sure that he sort of, you know, enunciates so that she can understand better. Moments like that are really, really, uh, great. Mm-hmm. And then the moment where he sort of starts to, maybe not starts to be redeemed, but that moment where he's having a conversation with Reagan and he's sort of saying, talking about her father and how he wants to be more like him for her. Um, stuff like that really mm. made that relationship feel Closer than it was written because of the strength of the acting. It was really, really good.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not quite full Ripley and Newt, but it's you know, he's he's found a, a kid that he can become a kind of surrogate dad to. And and for that reason as well, I'm glad that Krasinski didn't kill him. I mean, there's every chance he bleeds out on the on the floor of that radio station. <laughs> there's every chance that you know an artery has been pierced and he's only got a couple of minutes left to live. But <laughs> Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. Uh, and I'm glad he was—he's—he was left alive at the end to kind of reconcile himself as well with these feelings that he clearly has about his his sons. He's fine. <laughs> who's, who's, who's
1: the Ripley and who's the Newt? I mean, it's almost like uh, I don't know. Regan's the Ripley and he's the Newt. She she kind of she carries him emotionally. You know, she's like I say that enunciate scene is really important because it's a moment where she absolutely forces him to connect. To reconnect, mm-hmm. I should say, to con- you know, reconnect with humanities and go, mm-hmm. look, you have a purpose. You have to help. You have to be part of this community of two for now, a uh, community of four extended, eventually a bigger community. And so in that sense, I suppose, you know, she's, she's the one with the pulse rifle, a.k.a. the speaker in one hand, and she's carrying him with the other.
2: So she's the one who wants to take off, broadcast to the site from orbit because it's the only way to be (laughs) sure. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. So he's kind of like half-newt, half-hicks, let's say. Mm. I get why there's not much of it because this is only like a 90-minute film. But Mm. I wanted more of the bad people who Emmett sort of says uh, sort of now exist in the world in a big way. You only got like one scene of that and it was really effective even, even though, you know, Sort of a dumb decision, in that this was obviously a trap. How do you not see this? But they needed a boat. I know, but come on, this is just a what, look, lone girl on the pier like that. You think this is? Yeah, but like tra-. no, but
2: he's he's a bereaved father. He's he's a, there. There is no way he could actually just. Mm. He's not going to sit there like Mad Max and go, "That's a trap," and and walk on by. Like he he physically can't do it.
3: If there's ever an apocalypse, I am not riding with you because you're the type of person who will go (laughs) and get herself killed and get me killed. I am not a bereaved father, (laughs) but for Mm -hmm. that
2: character, there is no way that character can leave a small, apparently needy child without checking on her. Like it just, Mm -hmm. he physically Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. I don't think.
0: It is interesting though, because he, you know, he does seem to suggest that he's seen some pretty bad shit and had some bad experiences and it does make you wonder what's happened there and did those bad people ever think about exploring just a little bit further into the valley and there they would have found, you know, the Abbotts?
1: When, when we first see his finger on the... On the pause, you see his finger sort of thinking he, he's going to mm. shoot, you know, he's going to shoot Evelyn.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> Watching it again, I'm not sure that that's what he's doing at that point. I think he's ready to shoot whatever comes after them because he's pretty sure that something's coming after them at any second. I, I don't think he's planning to shoot her.
0: Yeah, there's also maybe an element of mercy killing that mm. you know they yeah. they wandered into this place. There are bear traps out of here. We don't know whether he set them. I'm, I presume he has, but yeah. not to yeah. catch humans, to catch those creatures. And he thinks, well, if they if they land in one of my traps, then they're going to be picked off in seconds. So maybe I'll just shoot mm. them in the head. But then to do that gives away my position. So this is the this is a, the eternal dilemma. And that's one of the great things I think about the Quiet Place movies and, you know, what Krasinski and and what the the writers Beck and Woods did in the first movie as well, is that they set up all these wonderful dilemmas and they're really good, perhaps maybe Mm. slightly better in the first movie in terms of setting up the idea of, you know, foreshadowing setups and payoffs. You know, here is a nail that has been rammed through this stair. (laughs) <laughs> in a world where people can't make noise, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Here is a uh, a furnace of some kind in which our heroes retreat and they can't be heard. But there's a towel over the Better lock the because towel. otherwise, yeah, you've got to use a towel. Otherwise you're going to be trapped and you will have air for maybe 10 minutes. And it's just really, really nicely done, really artfully set up.
2: Another tiny little thing with that air thing, he's got the alarm that goes off. It doesn't. People don't seem to obviously reset the alarm. It's going to last a completely different amount of time with the entire Abbott family in there with him. As opposed to yes. him on his own.
1: But it film wouldn't have been as interesting if there'd been a scene in which he realizes that and resets the alarm. I know. Because, well, on, I, I, look, I, know. I, I understand, like, film shorthand. I'm, like, okay. I'm just
2: pointing it out to you. In case you ever find yourself in an apocalypse, which Amon is apparently worried about and is worried that I will end up with, you know, killing him, I'm just saying I can be useful <laughs> by pointing out this kind of thing.
3: This is James Dyer having too much of an effect on me. Uh, oh, don't let I'm that happen. <laughs> Get him out of your And now I, I, I need to get, go back together like James, just in case. Take a toothbrush to the inside of your brain.
2: <laughs> that doesn't sound good. As a doctor, I would not do that. No.
0: Real quick, uh, real, real quick, I want to talk about a couple of the last uh, sequences in the movie. We mentioned at the beginning the sequence in the radio station, uh, which is very Jurassic Park y, as I think a number of people have pointed out, as is, of mm-hmm. course, the, the aliens appearing outside the window in that bar, uh, which is very akin to the the raptor's shadows uh, appearing on the wall in Jurassic Park. Uh, you know, hey, listen, if you're going to pay homage, pay Absolutely. homage to the best, right? But uh, I thought that sequence, with the unfortunate demise of Jaiman Honsu notwithstanding, I thought mm-hmm. that sequence was really, really effective and creepy.
2: Yeah, it was. And you weren't sure exactly what was going to happen even after she, you know, gets into the on-air booth. It, it still seemed like, okay, even if you get that thing broadcasting, you know, then what? And of course, she just picked up a handy thing and beat him to death so that was fun Yeah, Yay for that what was but- that a microphone
0: stand
3: or yeah something? it seemed what to be it? yeah yeah i really i really really liked it i just feel like and again i get this is clearly you know some intent went to, went into this but it feels like the ending is very abrupt like it feels like almost we're missing like another act of this film It just ends after that scene.
2: I think that's okay. I think it's a it's a passing of the torch to the younger kids, and then Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's a
2: realization that they can you know fend for themselves. Both both adults are now laid up with extremely bad leg injuries.
0: Mm -hmm. Both bleeding Mm -hmm. out because of major arteries being nicked. They're they're dead in minutes. Yep,
3: that's dark. That's really dark. I get that, and I that comes across. (laughs) I just feel like we're missing an aftermath, an immediate aftermath of what just went down, especially. Where Reagan is at. Do hmm. so
0: I think the last image is as satisfying as Emily Blunt crunching a shotgun and getting ready for action? Probably not. But I don't know where you go after this, quite quite frankly, uh, because what is the ending of this? The ending of this is what other people hearing this noise across the across the the nation is it Emily Blunt? You know, is it them slowly? making their way back to the mainland to rescue yeah. Emily Blunt and, and Noah Jupe and the baby? Or is it them making their way to this, to this radio station? I don't know how satisfactory that is. I think it's, I think it's a lovely image. It's an image of hope. It's an image of, mm. it, you know, as you said, the new generation, Marcus, the character, you know, the most useless big screen Marcus since Marcus Brody has Aww. finally <laughs> stepped to the fore and done something uh, of note. And then of course you have Reagan, uh, you know. The, the best Reagan since Ronald. Uh wow. What? No, it was a joke. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> wow. Since The Exorcist. Also you know, wow.
2: Uh, also stepping up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good
0: Reagan. It's not her fault she gets possessed I mean, by Pazuzu.
2: I know. She's not. I'm not. So, so, I don't know if we have a like, huge are you mind
0: possession? Of, are you possession blaming?
2: I'm, I'm oh,
0: my God. Wow. I'm
2: possession shaming. Yeah. you possession it. shaming. That's what you're
0: doing. I can't believe you got possessed by Pazuzu.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love a film that knows when to end, that, that doesn't feel it needs to add a bit on, you know, like whatever. Things I've seen recently that have great endings or re recently. The Italian Job, you know, um, or um, A Quiet Place, the first one. The Truman Show, you know, oh, you, don't, you, don't, yeah. you don't need those. It's just like story's over, credits roll, everyone go home feeling good about it.
2: And the story yeah. can be, the, the, the end of the story can be the start of another story whether or not you tell that, and I think that's what's happening here. I think absolutely, in yeah. my head canon, they absolutely do go to the island because there is no way they can keep themselves in oxygen tanks otherwise for that kid. Like, none, no way, never going to happen. Also, what, the, what about when the thing's a toddler? Good God. <laughs> Trying to keep it quiet?
0: It's just, it's lunch wait to happen. That it's kid. lunch no. wait to happen yeah. is what
2: it is, yeah. yeah. I'm saying it because I don't know if we know that it's a boy or a girl.
1: Is the, is the baby ever named?
2: I don't believe so. I don't think so. no. I don't actually think most people's names are said in this film. I'm not 100 percent sure they say Marcus or Reagan at any point.
0: Mm. This is, she says Marcus. She okay. says Marcus. But yeah, in the first movie, I don't think Lee is named mm. uh, until maybe right near the end. You know, because I thought it was I thought it was been mm. that really, really stylish thing of not giving the characters any names, and yeah. it would have been man, woman. Because that's that's what it is. Mm. That's good McNary. Who's a who's a name actor? Yeah. He plays yeah. Man on Dock or something like that, or Marina. Scurvy man. <laughs> Marina <laughs> Marina man. man. Marina Man. Marina Man. Shimon Honsu mm. is man on island so mm. it's it's doing really interesting things mm. with the character names and mm. you know taking that that kind of approach
2: yeah I think it's stripping it down to the essentials
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I, I did think when 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 I finally realized it was scoots I thought oh okay this is interesting like like uh, Amon alluded to earlier it's sort of like oh there's gonna be something and it was was slightly disappointing that it was just like it was like a blip on their journey as opposed to this yeah. big incident yeah Although although it did seem to be threatening to of veer the story off into a kind of a sort of folk horror ish almost style kind of community thing, you know these yeah. these 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 weird people with sacrificial tendencies.
0: Yeah, why was his eye red? And why was the young girl's face covered with some sort of, sort of scabs and mm. sores? I figured his, it might have been something to do with scurvy. As well. His shoulders yeah. all
2: raw looking. Yeah.
0: Maybe they weren't eating very well and they haven't clearly turned to cannibalism. Mm. Or maybe they have. Maybe that's what they want to do with, with Emmett. But ultimately.
2: why wouldn't they be eating well? They have boats and a sea.
0: But they don't know how to use the boats. Otherwise, they
1: would have gone to the island.
2: Maybe. It's, it's, yeah, I get I mean, they don't seem like very difficult boats to use. I'm not 100% no. clear, by the way, how our heroes use their boat. Do they turn on the engine when they get out to sea? Is that how it works? And they just run it aground on the beach?
0: I don't think it has an engine. Mm. That boat—it's a rowboat, isn't it? it mm.
2: No, because it's got the little thing on the front. I think it might be that one of those little sort of
0: electric-powered. Okay, yeah, well,
1: yeah. In. interesting. Yeah. Well, Just get up. a boat, turn the engine on, make loads of noise, park it at the bottom of a cliff, and then you turn all the monsters into lemmings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You figured this whole thing out? What if one of them lands on the boat though? <laughs> I saved you, the you need world. to have a little bit of see.
0: <laughs> See this is the thing i was saying this last night to Helen is uh, you know you could you could nitpick this is one of the things you could nitpick in terms of the world building and the mythology of this you know mm. where you introduce this idea that the the creatures can't swim right and you have, you obviously have this this idea that they're vulnerable to sound so there's part of you going, okay, so once this has been established, are you really telling me that the governments of the world in this time of great crisis and time of great peril wouldn't have figured this out and wouldn't throw everything they have into trying to f- isolate that a frequency that, as I said, discombobulates the-, the-, the baddies and saves the day? Or, you know, once you figure out that they can't swim, they just move entire populations to the middle of the ocean... Helicopters would still work. Planes would still work. These things don't seem able to fly, so you could still have a certain amount of coming and going in the air, for -hmm. example. And then I realised what the reaction to the global pandemic has been from the governments of the world. (laughs) And I was like, oh, actually, no, that maybe is quite realistic that they would completely and utterly screw the pooch on a global (laughs) basis. So, yeah, maybe that does ring true.
1: But I, I suppose you know where you could go next is the 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 the, the aliens could could learn, you, you know, they're sort of like oh they're adapting, so they'll all turn up with like you know little water wings, speedos on on, on the, <laughs> and, and and they'll start doggy paddling and going look, we'll get you now,
4: yeah, <laughs> ooh.
1: or 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 evolve, headphones or ev- yeah exactly or evolve uh,
0: inflatable sacks, I don't know, or or gills like Kevin yeah. Costner in Waterworld. Mm. Mm, Just that's what like they need that. to do. Yeah. Wow.
2: Exactly like F- that. F- <laughs> well no, but I think I think if they if we, the, if we do go with the they're a weapon thesis, then it's absolutely possible that they bring down the next weapon in line. You know, so that you know, super super duper versions of the same or something.
0: Mm. Yes.
3: That, that would make fly. things more interesting because now they got this deterrent uh mm. to the aliens in the presumably third film, mm-hmm. um, having an even tougher threat to face would make things more interesting for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, we've, you know, it's pretty much the question that's been asked by at pity the back seat, uh, regular question contributor to the podcast. What direction do you think they'll go in with Choir place three, uh, at the bin bag? Asks the same question, yeah. So where do you think they're going to go with Quiet Place Three? Whether whether what Jeff Nichols is doing is Quiet Place Three or not, you could go bigger. You could have new creatures arriving, and then oh shit, everything we've learned, we must unlearn. Uh, or you could do that thing where you just make it an anthology series, and mm. you know start telling stories about people who, you know, in in different environments uh, and with different uh, skill sets, and uh, who maybe don't know that there's a, a, a frequency that will help save the day. So where do you think it's going to go?
2: Maybe the aliens introduce a new strain of the cold, which causes people to sneeze loudly. And that's it for humanity. So sorry. So long. Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> I think, serious answer. I think, I think to me, it has to almost, I don't know, if you're going to treat it as a, a, a I don't know the big plan here, but let's assume it's a trilogy, right, for now. If that's mm. the case, I feel like it's almost like, well, the, the, you've got to carry straight on again. You've got to do that thing of picking straight up and moving t- straight to the next part of the story, whatever that may be. Whether it's, it's, it's okay, let's, let's get back to this island community and mm. now what do you do? The, the family's grown. We've got this group of people who have survived this latest horrific attack from the creatures. So where do you go from there? I, I, I would find that more satisfying. I think, again, I think it should be Regan or Reagan, because, I don't know, uh, uh, and, and Marcus's story, the Abbots' story still, um, yeah. rather
3: than what's been happening in London, you know? Hey, old governor. What has been happening in London. Now, I, I definitely think it should still be with the Abbots. I would presume that it's all about getting Regan's frequency to the largest sort of dispersal unit possible um, and finding sort of where that is, how to get to it, um, and sort of make that sort of the the final sort of mission, as it were, of the third film. That is where I would assume that it goes.
0: Yeah. You don't want it to become something that it's not. You don't want it to become the military. You focus on the military and they're swooping in and... You know harrier jump jets and whatnot to save the day and <laughs> blowing the shit out of the out, out of the creatures
3: michael bays a quiet place story
0: oh. <laughs> he, he, is, he, is, he is the producer and this is this is yeah. these two movies are quite i was thinking this last night when his his name came up at the end along with uh drew form and, and brad fuller and uh and obviously um krasinski himself i was thinking at least two movies the best thing that michael bays put his name to I, I, hey, I, I hey love he the made rock. The Rock. Come I love on, The Rock. I love The Rock unreservedly. <laughs> wow. I love Armageddon, reservedly. But <laughs> <laughs> these two movies are the best thing Michael Bates put his name to, right?
2: Yes. <sighs> I mean, thanks yes, then. Chris.
1: Yes, they thanks. Are.
2: Nobody's the rocket man in these movies, you know? <laughs> Nobody refuses to give that order in a shower room in these movies. So I don't know. It's, it's up there, though. It is up there. Absolutely yeah. up there.
3: I, I cannot say that when the VOC exists. The VOC is the best thing, Michael B. Right. It's in the Criterion
2: Collection, Chris.
0: This is true. It's in the Criterion Collection and A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place Part 2 are decidedly not in the Criterion Yet. Collection. Ergo, they are rubbish. Oh my God. Uh, anyway, I think that is a good note on which to end this spoiler special for A Quiet Place Part 2. I have had a great deal of enjoyment. I've had some enjoyment. Minimal enjoyment was had by me. Uh, Thank you, of course, for subscribing. As ever, we do appreciate your support, especially at this difficult time where we're being waylaid left, right and centre by creatures that hunt people for sound. And of course, we have weekly spoiler specials for Loki, the Disney Plus show starring Tom Hiddleston as the god of mischief. And uh, the first one's already up. But the second one will be up every Thursday. Every Thursday, those are going to be up. Uh, just one day after each episode on Disney+. Plus. Regular podcast is out every Friday. If you don't already listen to that, then please do. We welcome all listeners. All listeners are welcome. But until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, there's only one thing left to do, and I say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Marina Dan, Dan Jolin. Goodbye. I'm going to go quiet now. Be quiet, Dan. Be quiet, yeah, Bye, then. Chris. Bye. It's goodbye from wear some shoes. Amon Warman.
3: I'm going to go normal. Amon. Peace.
0: <laughs> okay. It is goodbye from all's quiet on the Helen front. Helen I just thought
2: like, i make noise while I can before these aliens arrive, you know? I
0: mean, honestly, what is the noise that gets you killed in A Quiet Place universe?
2: I probably would sneeze or cough or something. Yeah, sneezing,
1: sneezing or stubbing my toe or discovering that the kitchen scissors have disappeared again.
2: Also, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly creaky floors in my house. I, I literally could not move around my house
1: My dog. and survive. I mean, my dog would be dead in seconds. Oh,
2: your dog, yeah.
1: Yeah, stupid animal.
3: You can really feel the love there, Yeah, man.
0: You'd use it as a shield, though, wouldn't you, Dan? you use it to, to tempt the baddies out of hiding I'd, and I'd offering throw, the dog I'd throw, as a yeah, sacrifice. i throw it, I throw it at the monsters and run. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, what level of noise would excite the, or invite the monsters, right? So it's not just a creaky floor. You'd have to be, like, putting a key into the door and turning it or saying bang-dee-bang at the beginning of a podcast and, and doing various things. So I think creaky floors are okay. But toilet flushing, No. So that mm. would be the thing that gets me Because no I do love to flush a toilet Anyway, it's goodbye from me as well I pierced my foot on a spike Which is more of a Quiet Place 1 reference It's obviously more of a Alan Partridge reference as well Anyway, it's goodbye from me I'm off to turn it up to 11 Thanks for listening
4: Goodbye, it's goodbye from me Thank you for listening
0: Peace <laughs>